Hey, Docalos and Docalettes. Yes, I'm still saying that one. It seems like it's a, a winner. Maybe we'll have a gathering of the Docalos someday, and we're going to have our equivalent of that, that bridge where you can get any drug you want. Our own little Hamsterdam, that's a Wire reference. If you've never seen The Wire, I'm not going to tell you to watch it. I mean, personally, I don't care if you watch it or not. But if I make a reference uh, to it, you have to deal with it. I am Bob Sham, and you are listening to The Documenteers, the greatest podcast about documentaries. We talk about documentaries. We love documentaries. And if you're with us here today, you probably like documentaries, too, because documentaries are informative, and they get you talking about the issues of the, of the day. And there is no shortage of connections to the issues of today for, in this documentary, the 30 for 30 film, Without Bias, by Ken Fraser. Drew joins me as we make our way through the 30 for 30 landscape. And this one is a sad one, and we lay some hard truths on it as well. This is the story of a college phenom that was destined to be a Celtic great and then suddenly died, ravaging his community. We'll get through it together. Come, hold my hand, join me, and keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film, a thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. A lot of people say, well, how do you do that? And I don't really think there's anything. There's nothing to me. this recording it'll long be over by the time this episode airs we're up in some march madness how's your bracket looking awful here's mine i stopped putting x's on it at a certain <laughs> point because it just didn't matter and did you run out of teams to x but yeah you can pretty much exit down to here too although it's villanova still in it yes so you got one out of the final four right well i have uh I have them losing to Clemson, which we know by now is not going to happen. But uh, what a shit show my bracket was this year. And just about everybody, so you're not alone. Cool. So That was cool when those brackets were out like two months ago, right? <laughs> yeah. Boy, I just, let's stop and remember March Madness brackets. <laughs> in memoriam. Thanks a lot, Loyola Chicago. Who was shitty the least this year in <laughs> March Madness? Although, look, we don't know yet, but Villanova is still in it. I did pick them to win. While the rest of my bracket is pure hot dog shit. Yep. This but, would be the third year in a row I have the winner correct if Villanova hangs on. Put yeah, on to yeah. that little sliver of uh, expertise. <laughs> that Kentucky-Kansas State game was so entertaining, but that loss busted me hard. Man, there's been a lot of really tight games in this one, which yeah. is so upset. Like Loyola-Chicago, the Darlings in the Final Four, they only won their first round game by a miracle shot. They would have been out in the first round if it wasn't for an absolute miracle shot at the end to beat Miami. There was a Michigan State game I watched where I got tired of watching miss three-pointers. Oh, I was like, Ooh. College basketball. Yep. You're going to see a lot of three-point bricks. Explains why I only watched in March. So, Yeah. Explains why my radio program is a professional sports radio program. <laughs> Although March Madness is 
So much fun. College basketball, what an appropriate thing to discuss as we are talking about, what is this? This is our sixth 30 for 30? It is, but it's number five in the 30 for 30 lineup. Yes, because we did a special Super Bowl, the two Bills, days after it aired. So fresh. Go listen to that now. Not so fresh. But we are watching our first truly tragic 30 for 30, the film by Kirk Fraser, Without Bias. You get a little choked up when Wayne Gretzky left Canada? Well, it was emotional, but you can't beat what happens to Lynn Bias in, in this film. Yeah, this is not a uh, not a laugh riot. We can say that off the bat. And Kirk Fraser, what has this guy done? He was the guy from Fraser, right? No, no, that's Kelsey Grammer. Uh, I've watched this whole thing thinking this was a Fraser documentary. Or the doc. Oh, man. <laughs> Kirk Fraser, not Fraser. Not Fraser. Not for sure. Without bias director Kirk Fraser, famous director of Lil' Kim, Countdown to Lockdown on BET. Ooh, Countdown to Lockdown director Kirk Fraser? Lil' Kim, colon, Countdown to Lockdown. Seems like he's worked on a lot of television. And TV movies. And this. Without bias. Now, we see Lynn Bias, who was a phenomenal college player in the late 80s. He's being asked how he does how he can do what he does. And he's like, I don't know. It's nothing to me. It's nothing to me. The natural ability that this guy had was unbelievable. He was so raw. He, he barely played as a freshman when he got into college ball. And he was never really looked at as this big star until this huge breakout in his sophomore year. But again, like our last documentary that when I was here at Shamco Studios talking to you for the documenteers, we did Muhammad and Larry, the fourth in the series of 30 for 30s. This one does not bury the lead. It knows that you already know the big headline of Len Bias. June 19th, 1986, something has gone wrong. It is the tragic death of Len Bias. We transition out of that. There's a lot of very fast transitions in this movie. This movie is as fast-paced as Len Bias on the attack. Now, we get a couple of highlights real early in this movie, a video of Len Bias. And holy shit, does this guy have hops. His dunks are just effortless, high-flying, all legs and arms, throwing it down hard and running up the court again. We go to the University of Maryland. Go Terrapins! Herps. And of course, Lynn Bias is a badass college basketball player. His sophomore year, he really takes off. So does the Maryland program. They're coached by George Costanza, it looks like. He's got a lot of a lot of screen time. <laughs> the Terps go Terps. They make the ACC championship. Bias breaks out, scoring and dunking this way and that, left way and right way, up and down. The hops he had just blew me away watching these videos early on in this documentary. He would just get up this athletic ability. He mentions that he was almost embarrassed by his ability sometimes, it seemed like. Because he just, all this stuff came so naturally to him. They're even talking about how his jump shot was perfect in form. So a guy with this much ability, the inside-outside game was rare back then. We're talking the 80s still, where 6'8", which Len Bias was, is a big man. That's a guard in today's basketball. Yeah. But he was a big man with this huge leaping ability, rebounds, dunks, and an outside shot. Hell of a basketball player. We see a part where he makes a jumper, and as the other team's passing it back in, he runs back in, stills the ball, and scores again. When he broke out in that game in his sophomore year, 
They they talked about how his overall demeanor changed. He suddenly had this level of confidence and this instinct just kicked up and he began working harder than ever before. After this point, he knew he was good and everyone else had no problem telling him. Michael Wilbon especially is super effusive. He can't say enough amazing things about when he was watching Len Bias play as a younger journalist. Bias goes head-to-head against Jordan multiple times in college, and he's holding his own. As a sports fan, you recognize it right away that this is something special. This is a different level than most of these, even these other excellent basketball players. This is a level above that. The Celtics... They draft bias. The Celtics have won the championship the previous year, and then through nice lottery bell bounces, the ping pong balls, they also get the number two overall pick in the entire draft. So after winning the championship, they get the second overall pick in the draft. Apparently, they'd been in contact with bias before. He's the guy they really wanted. They thought he was the best player in the draft, and they get him with the number two pick. Everyone seems happy about it. That's where bias wanted to be. He's the very Celtics excited. really like him. Yeah, he's thrilled. They don't go into this at all in the entire documentary, but let's just talk about that 1986 draft for a second. The guy who went number one overall over Len Bias was Brad Doherty, who had a pretty decent career with the Cleveland Cavs. Also in that draft, number 27 overall, Dennis Rodman. Wow. It's the same draft as Dennis Rodman. One of the great rebounders in NBA. Arvidas Sabonis was in this draft, and at number 60 overall, Drazen Petrovic. What? Spoiler alert, we'll see in future 30 for 30s. That's right, yeah. Oh, another sad, sad 30 for 30. But that's a hell of a draft. Len Bias is number two overall, and the Celtics are thrilled to have him, and he's super thrilled to be going to Boston. He goes to a little party in his room afterwards. His dad's got a bad feeling about it, apparently. They're in separate rooms, and Len leaves, and yeah. Dad says, bad premonition, better pray. They have a bunch of interviews here with Len Bias, or maybe a few clips from one interview, I think would be more accurate. But he comes across as a real humble guy, real easygoing, pretty likable. He might be a little unsure of himself even, going into this big new situation in his life. I mean, he's a kid, and but he did kind of have almost this aw shucks kind of demeanor about him. Yeah, he comes off as real likable early on in this. Amidst this parade of faces that are getting thrown at you by the director here in this movie. You're just getting clip after clip after clip of about a line each from all these just headshots in front of the exact same background. Did he do all these interviews in the same day? In the same hotel room? What's hanging in the background too? It's like some sort of sheet that's blue and orange. I have no idea. Everybody's in front of the same backdrop and it's just clip after clip of them speaking. Transitioning very quickly. This is one of the fastest paced documentaries, not just out of the 30 for 30s, but out of all the ones we've discussed so far. Also have to say this. I don't know if you caught this one, if this was a part that got to you, but what the fuck was going on every time they cut to John Thompson, the former Georgetown coach? He wasn't fit in frame properly, so his head is gigantic and looming, and it's kind of cut off on both sides. What the hell's his name? Darth Vader. James Earl Jones' James voice. Earl Jones. And he's just lit from underneath, so one side of his face is dark, and his whole head doesn't fit in the frame in the shot, so he's just <laughs> looming out at you every time he talks. Yeah. And that's not terrifying. And and it wasn't very consistent. Not everyone was like that. Angela pointed out that it seemed like a couple of the talking heads were at like a weird angle. John Thompson was at some sort of angle. I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but they made him some sort of looming monster right there. The director, Perk Fraser, he should have did one talking head shot. Just an up-close shot of James Brown's mouth or something, just talking. (laughs) Zoom it all the way in. No, he wanted to. Just go fully uh, psychedelic. (laughs) Instead of just blue sheet hanging in the background. 
We meet a friend of Lynn's, Tribble. Was Tribble on the team? I didn't catch that. Yeah, I think he was one of his teammates. But he Tribble. Was at Maryland with him. But there's trouble with Tribble, Drew. See what you did there. Uh-huh. See how it's Star Trek? Yeah, look at that. We all know the Tribbles. And Lynn leaves with Tribble. They go to the liquor store, and the clerk is talking to him. You see an interview with the clerk to media at the time. And everyone knows who Lynn Bias is in this area. Everyone is super proud and super pumped for this guy who's could go on to be one of the greatest players of all time. Let's hit that timeline there. He just got drafted. He goes to a party in his hotel room. His dad's got a bad feeling about it. Everybody who knows the Len Bias story or started watching this documentary and caught the early clip that shows that he dies on this date in June 1986, you got a real bad feeling too, along with his dad. But then he comes right out the next day and they say, okay. Then Len comes back the next day. We go see Reebok. We have a nice time. Reebok signs him. He's got shitloads of shoes. Yeah. And he's giving away to his whole family and they're saying hi. And he gets to see everybody and giving them shoes. He doesn't get to see his mom because she's at work or something. But then he says, I'm going to go party with my friends at, at, back at Maryland because I just got drafted the day before this. It's time to go party with my old college teammates and bring them some of this sweet Reebok swag I've got now. So then he meets up with his boy Tribble, goes to the liquor store the day after he got drafted number two overall. Tribble says that they're just chilling, talking. They're in, uh, are they at a hotel? They're at the dorms in, back at Maryland. That's right. They're doing some coke. There are other people socializing with them. While they're doing this, other players, certain players that come in and out, they hide it. Because some people, not everyone involved is like down with this. Look, we've been out in the world a little bit. You know, we've been we've been doing stuff. We both went to college. You know, some people, some people are cool. Some people might not be cool. It's very easy to, to picture this situation they're having. Even though it's the 80s, he just made it. Dream come true. Number two overall pick in the draft. His life changed. He just signed with Reebok that day. And he's going back to see all his old teammates. And they're having a party. They've got their cognac. They've got their beers. When only teammates who are cool with it, when apparently new, they'll do a little bit of coke. Tribble says that Lynn begins having seizures. He points out that it blew everybody's high. That part kind of went without saying. It seemed... Very odd that he pointed out that it blew everyone's high. It's like, okay. Seems like when you do shake it around, your high is of least importance all of a sudden. We would guess that if you're doing drugs and your per- and your buddy begins dying on the floor, seems like, yeah, it's going to blow your high. Well, nobody knew that. Nobody knew that he was dying here. They said he started to, he laid back on the bed and started to have a seizure. And everyone was just like, man, what the hell's going on with Len? And pretty soon after it, Tribble says that he could tell it wasn't an ordinary seizure. I don't know what ordinary seizures he was usually used to, but he could tell it's not normal. And look, to this guy's credit, that he was, you know, at a party with the drugs, with booze, he calls 911 as soon as he realized something's really off. Tribble said he didn't believe this was fatal. He ob- obviously something was wrong, but he felt confident it wasn't fatal. But yeah, he calls 911 and he's straight up like, yo, this is a Lynn bias. You have to get him back. It's very important that something serious does not happen to him. You have to get him back to life. There's no way he can die. It's pretty heavy listening to this 911 tape. They go get a teammate. Teammate comes in. Paramedics show up. And they're having to tell the family, because Lynn's nickname to his family and close friends was Frosty. Yeah, that just gets thrown in there at this point. They start calling him Frosty. And they 
never mentioned where it came from. With nicknames, especially from a family, it could be based on something you randomly mispronounced when you were five years old. We could probably look it up and maybe it'll tell us. We did a little bit of research here. Apparently it was from his pastor and it came from his cool demeanor. Ah, Frosty, but his whole family calls him Frosty for yeah. pretty much the rest of the documentary, which is interesting because as much as we've heard the Len Bias story, I never knew that part of it. The family is told that Frosty slash Len had a seizure and he's at the hospital. One of the players talks to the family, but he's so manic that they give him the wrong hospital. So they actually go to the wrong hospital at first, but it's a lot of panic going on. So no one was trying to dick them over, but eventually they find the right hospital and the mother says that he asked God to save her son's life. And she said, paraphrasing her words here, but she said that God said that it's done and there's no need to pray to me about this anymore. Because he's already gone. The nurse comes out and says, he's not dead. We're still trying to save him. And she basically tells the nurse, I know he's gone. He's on a respirator. They're yeah. having to breathe for him. Len Bias's mom is tough as goddamn nails. Yeah. This lady is amazing. She said she never cries because she she already knew. And we're getting video footage right here. This is one of the more interesting parts of the documentary to me, is that there's not much video footage in this at all. It's pretty much just the interviews with, you know, person after person after person in front of that blue sheet and a whole lot of still photographs that they flash to. But they have video of all of his friends and his teammates and his family outside the hospital freaking out. I don't know who shot this video. I mean, it's kind of hard to watch. The whole community is falling out over this. And yeah, his mother is just having to be very stoic in the face of the death of her own son. She describes it as, you're so broken, you can't even imagine the sun is coming out. And yet she's comforting all of his friends and teammates, some of whom were at that party with him. She blew me away, like how tough his mom is and his father as well. And they credit a lot of that to their faith as well, that she had this... She talked to God and was trying to pray, and he told her, like, it's already done. You've got to move on, basically. And his dad just says, you know, I don't know what it is, and I don't have to like it, but there's a higher plan, and that gives me comfort. Lynn Bias's siblings, they saw he died on the news of a heart attack, and there's just grief everywhere. And that's fucked up when your siblings find out on the news. I'm sure the word of his passing moved so quickly that you can't even think of it really like the parents just didn't think about it. It's just a domino one after the other. You could imagine this was some of the, the fastest traveling news at the time. It's the number one story on all the news networks, on all the headlines. They say they can't go out on their street without somebody getting interviewed about him. And again, you look at this timeline. That party, the first night at the hotel room after the draft. Party again the second night with his old college friends. That's when the seizure happens. After that night, the next morning is when he's pronounced dead. That's two days after he was just drafted number two overall and made it. Dream come true. His life absolutely changed. Two days later, he's dead. And everybody in this entire community has a microphone shoved in their face. There's one kid at his college who was one of the weirder interviews to me. Because again, everybody on his college is just saying now, you know, it hitting us that we're not invincible because this guy who was kind of the best of us, this amazing athlete, if a heart attack can hit him at this age, he's 22, 23 years old right now. But then there's this one kid. I'm not sure if he had a mullet. He might have had a mullet. It was that and, time. And he just goes, that's the way life is. <laughs> I love it when kids say like, 
Because it's not based on experience. They just heard someone say that. Man, all right, dude. <laughs> it was a big event in the D.C. area. This was massive. And for a lot of locals around that time, it was almost like there was a before Lynn Bias death period and an after Lynn Bias death period. And flowers were sent from people like Jordan and Bird, cards from the president at the time. The Reagans. People came to speak at his memorial. Auerbach, the Celtics coach at the time, and Jesse Jackson. Red Auerbach really wanted him on the team. He was really excited to have him as a Celtic. And again, we're getting, you know, later on, but he sounds like he was, they treated the family very well in this unbelievably tragic circumstance. They considered him part of the Celtics family already at that point, is kind of how the, the press releases and the talking points went. And there was no blame being thrown around, really until the report came back that it was cocaine-induced. It wasn't a heart attack. It was a cocaine overdose. Now, we get a little uh, context to the environment of illegal drugs, specifically cocaine. Dude, this is a hard left turn in this movie. It just immediately cuts from the funeral and all these sad people, and then it goes into funky Coketown, D.C. Explaining the backdrop of what Lynn was going through, Especially when you're as high profile as Lynn can be. Tribble was talking about how DC was loaded with drugs in the mid 80s. Funky Coke Town. That Everybody's it was, strutting around. It was everywhere. And for a lot of people, they did not think of it as that bad. Lynn's girlfriend, who he had at the time of his death, I believe, she said she saw him with it once, but that was it. And I got to say, she looked good. And she still looked good. She's like a foxy older woman, but she was st still lovely. <laughs> and But she said that... Hey, a man just died here. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm moving in, man. We may need to get uh, Larry Holmes singing a song about himself to kind of maybe break some of this ice, you know? Oh, listen, people, I'm Larry Holmes. Let me tell you how I have grown. Well, we got the uh, funky music when they're seeing everybody having a good time in Coketown. And then they cut to an interview with Marion Barry. Because <laughs> if you're talking about Coke in D.C. Infamous D.C. mayor, famous for smoking crack while in office. Also, maybe it's not a good time to be a mayor with the last name Barry. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we're here in Nashville where our mayor just resigned over uh, paying money to um, her mister or mistress or whatever. Hey, there's politics here, too. Boy, this city, it's growing, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe one day Nashville will be a funky coke town. But his girlfriend <laughs> said that he was very naive about the environment around him. Now, you imagine that naivete, natural in a young person. Suddenly, he's this guy that no one's ever going to say no to, and everyone wants to influence him in some way or another. Everyone wants to be Lynn Bias's friend. So that youthful naivete, people are not really that quick on how effective and addictive coke is at this point. No one's really talking about it that much. It's pointed out that his exact death was cocaine intoxication. They say that the dose he took was 98% pure. And there's been a question about how the hell did he get his hands on this stuff? Uh, well... Because he was just at a college party, basically. If you think of the context at the time, my father died when I was very young. He was a drug addict. There's some mystery as to what exactly causes death. But he could have died in the same way that Lynn died. In the 80s, coke was so flowing that it was probably a lot easier than it is today to get a hold of some really pure stuff. And of course, coke is often cut. Baby laxative is a, a common thing to cut cocaine with. Most people who are doing coke are 
maybe not trying to go over a 60% ratio here. Because if you do fucking, if you snort pure cocaine, something that he'd probably done several times, a handful of several times, no big deal. And this time, that's it. It can turn on a fucking dime, folks. It's a big deal. One of the sort of side things about this is that his story, maybe it helped out a lot of other people and kind of brought to their mind that this is actually dangerous. It's not just a fun thing to do at parties. This is a real deal, no shit drug that people might not have thought cocaine was at this point. But then on the other hand, it also touched off this political firestorm that said that Len Bias's extremely newsworthy headline-making death was one of these cultural touch points that got everybody talking about it. And this ended up cutting to our angry violin music and now it's like coke is bad and politicians are grandstanding in congress and lawyers are getting up there and judges are saying what ends up happening for this is again this is not the sole reason they said the flashpoint of len bias's death at this point in society this led to a lot of the war on drugs on the reagan era yep that's right uh cops they're looking for trouble he's kind of hiding out for a minute but he eventually surrenders all this information is out. So people are knowing Tribble is involved. There's a lot of scapegoating, a lot of finger pointing going on. Well, there was no blame originally. They're blaming everybody now after he dies and it comes out that it was cocaine intoxication. The Maryland coach has to resign. I believe it said their AD also was forced to resign, but it was just flashing so fast between this. It was hard to tell who was who going on. I'd also like to know more about what happened with Tribble there because they said there was a manhunt after which he turned himself in, but he was the one who called 911 and was at the hospital with the family. Well, there was no question of his involvement from the beginning. What happened? Where did this manhunt go? Well, you got to imagine what people were saying after all this information came out. Had to be this guy who's going to represent this this community and go on to become one of the greats. A lot of people are going to attribute the fall of their hopes and dreams in this person on anyone that they can point a finger at. That's why that coach quits. A lot of the players during this time, even though many of them were not involved in this, are having to deal with that fallout. And not only that, but like freshman players coming into the program are having to deal with the politics and bureaucracy that's stemming from this tragedy. But Tribble found not guilty of cocaine charges. Probably lucky it was then, because one of the things that this also brought about was mandatory minimum sentences for drug dealing. And one could make the point, and this documentary certainly alludes to it, that this was kind of the beginning of this incredible prison industrial complex that we have going on right now and just keeping people locked up for so long for nonviolent offenses. There was so much pressure for Lynn for his need to be a great example that when he died, that pressure just deflated throughout the community and throughout politics. The uh, prison industrial complex, as we know it, this did contribute so much to it. Five grams equaling five years. As someone with an incredibly squeaky voice really told us. Yeah. There's (laughs) apparently a prominent narc detective at the time who would later be revealed to be a complete liar regarding his qualifications. One of many people who contributed to an intense crackdown on drugs. And of course, now Drew, we know that drugs are everywhere. They're in every community. But when they do these crackdowns, what communities are getting hit the hardest. Poor inner city communities. And with the mandatory minimums in five years, you're taking a whole lot of young men for low-level offenses out of those communities and sending them to prison for a long time. And you're getting nonviolent offenders 
basically getting charges stacked and stacked to the point where you still have people serving essentially a life sentence today for the way that we reacted to this back then. That's the biggest tragedy out of all of this is how it just so negatively affected the poor communities in the D.C. area. You take that hope that Len Bias's death might have inspired, that it might have convinced so many other people who might have been all about the cocaine to not go that direction in their life. But then it also inspired this thing that has been devastating down through generations. And Len Bias was a person. He was a person who seems like a pretty good dude with a family that called him Frosty and had unlimited potential in the NBA. Two days after his draft, he's dead. And maybe a lot of people might paint Bias negatively because he did do a little cocaine. But we all make mistakes when we're young. We all do dumb shit when we're young. And he had more pressure on his back than any normal person would ever understand in their life. Everybody wanted to paint a different picture of what happened and wh- who, what kind of person he was after this when he wasn't around to defend himself anymore. But the second half of this documentary, not really about Len Bias anymore. Now yeah. we're talking about drug laws. We're talking about acts of Congress. And then unbelievable. we haven't had enough tragedy yet. This family... His younger brother, Jay Bias, who'd had a really tough time. Obviously, his brother died on the verge of stardom. He had to go through school with everybody saying he died from being a dope fiend. He gets murdered. He works at a cage jeweler, and apparently he's being a salesman, maybe a little flirty with some woman. And the jealous boyfriend, this fucking fragile lowlife, goes out, gets a gun out of his vehicle, comes in and shoots Jay Bias down. Kills him. Right there. The parents have to do it again. His mom, still fucking amazing. Super tough here. Now two sons down. How much more does this family have to go through? They're going from, oh my God, the future looks incredibly bright, to they're gone. That's a hell of a turnaround. And then someone makes a, again, these interviews are the entire documentary in front of this blue sheet with somebody's head there talking to you. It's hard to keep track of who was who. But someone makes a nice snarky comment who's after that, there's not a million bad handgun headlines right after Jay Bias's death. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And this pretty much winds the film down. We leave on a quote from Lynn, and he says, you got to look at every situation as though it's going to be the end of your life. And we get a little cop-style aftermath rundown. It says Lynn Bias's mother became an inspirational speaker, which she's still doing all this work. And I say, she's probably amazing at that. I would say oh, so. Damn. And that the Celtics, who did not get Len Bias the year after they won the championship, go 21 years before their next championship. And as a basketball fan, you can't help flashing to a few years later with Reggie Lewis. And whew, Celtics went through some tough times. Yeah, they did. But now they won a couple more. Paul Pierce's numbers retired. That's true. Within the 2000s, every Boston team had won their championship. The city of the decade when it came to sports. Especially if you ask people from Boston. I'll be happy to tell you. Now, lately, it's been a little harder. But you know what? You have you have some good stuff in recent memory. So, God, let me tell you. The Sox may win a champ one year. As soon as they don't look very good, those Red Sox fans will be like, Oh, the curse is big! The curse is big! That'll be pretty good this year, too. Yeah. <laughs> now, true, we don't rate in stars. It's an archaic system. The star rating system, stars can eat garbage for all I care. They, I wish I could black them out of the sky. Just take a magic marker and draw over them. This sick, sad fucking world illuminated by stars. Get out there with your magic marker. Godspeed, documenteer. 
But we do rate things in Hertzogs. I'll give one through five Hertzogs. You'll give one through five Hertzogs. Combine them, best out of 10 Hertzogs. Drew, what did you think of this film, 30 for 30, without bias by director Kirk Fraser? Oh, director of Lil' Kim, Countdown to Lockdown, Kirk Fraser. Countdown to Lockdown director, Kirk Fraser. This documentary kind of drove me a little bit insane, I have to say. The entire thing is fast-moving clips of interviews of different people's heads in front of the exact same background, occasionally interspersed with still photographs. They show the same one about 12 times. It's Len Bias looking fucking cool in front of a laundromat or something. <laughs> Him and Tribble just posing, hanging out, looking like some cool dudes in front of this building in a strip mall, maybe. I read laundromat. They look cool in front of the laundromat. We saw this photo enough times. Yeah, they did. And then it's just interview after interview in front of that orange and blue sheet or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> there were only a couple video clips again. The beginning had rad dunks. It was rad dunk after rad dunk. Show us more rad dunks, Kirk yeah, Fraser. That'd be great. Len Bias was an amazing basketball player. Watching his athleticism and his game and having people come in and talk about how his jump shot had perfect form and then getting to see it in clips, that ruled. I would watch that all day. The rest of it, interview after interview in front of the exact same backdrop and some still photos every now and then, that's barely a documentary, man. And there was not much there. It was good to hear from the first-hand people involved in the Len Bias story. Meeting his family was pretty intense. And the people who were actually in the room when he had the seizure that eventually killed him. That was something. Again, the Len Bias story is a tragic American story, no doubt. And it was interesting that he tried to pull in these greater social things that came from it. It was corny as hell the way it was done with the music. The funky Coke music for a little <laughs> while, and then the angry fiddle music when they started having the headline after headline and blaming everybody. It was super corny. <laughs> <laughs> kind of ridiculous to see what a hard turn that was from the rest of the tone of this documentary. Like someone who does uh, Foley or uh, sound for the ID channel. <laughs> yeah. And dude, get John Thompson's head in the frame right. It made me laugh every time, so maybe that was one of the better parts of the documentary. <laughs> but you're a professional filmmaker. You can fit his head in the frame, right? <laughs> if you really wanted to. Not sure why that kept happening over and over again. The only videos were rad dunks and people freaking out because their friend just died. That's a hell of a dichotomy right there. Yeah. Overall, I'm going to have to give this documentary 1.5 hertz. Whoa, that's a lobby, a real lobby. There was not much there besides culling from the one little interview with Len at the beginning. That's what I like to see and some of the highlights and then hearing his family talk. But there were so many people talking through here. It was hard to tell who was who, and they all had the same damn backdrop that I was sick of seeing after two minutes. Well, I definitely hear what you're saying. I gotta say, uh, that music was weird. It kind of pulled me out of it. There, you had the very melodramatic violin thing going on. There was also like these weird music choices in the background that almost sounded like music you'd hear in the background of a Japanese RPG. And they really stuck out to me. Like I didn't notice it. I was like, that's, I feel so odd. You know, in a movie like Small Potatoes, there was some corny little music going on. But that film also kind of played up the goofy nature of what it was talking about. It was, in a way, almost revering itself, but maybe giggling at itself a little bit, too. Yeah, it matched the tone. That tonalness did not really kind of link in as well with the music here. And the uh, there was a lot of talking heads. 
that seemed to be not very consistent. We pointed out some weird angles on a few heads. And the same background the, for all of them. The bizarre close-ups where the heads don't fit. And the transition, which was moved so quickly. There's probably a lot we didn't touch base on based on how quickly everything was going into one thing or the other. It was almost like this movie was just desperate to get as much information out. And which is weird because a lot of the information that we got was pretty simple. But given that, it was interesting learning the story of Lynn Bias. And while that a lot of that information on what happened with the drug crackdowns and the way where prisons went, that actually was meant a lot to me because it provided the context of how this tragedy was so effective, not just to a community, but it also, whether it would be by political grandstanding or good intentions that we think are good intentions but are not, resulting in the war on drugs going into overdrive. The way those two things were connected were very important to me. And I know on a personal level, mass incarceration and people serving these long sentences for crimes that are not violent, imprisoning people, dealing with addictions by throwing people in a cell, that's a very big issue to me. And I did appreciate how Kirk Fraser made it a point to put that in there. He may not have segued very gracefully into it, but it did mean a lot to me that he provided that historical context to this tragedy. I'm pretty much with you in so many ways. You want to like this movie a lot more. I did get a lot out of it, but as far as as a film itself and the way it come together. You meet a lot of personalities in this film, including Lynn himself, that you feel for. There is some heart to this movie, but there is some very awkward senses of execution going on in this film. So I think it barely misses that average score. And I'm going to have to give this one a 2.5 Herzog rating. So neither score that high. But in a way, even though it's not a great documentary, if you don't know anything about Lynn Bias, I think you should check it out because there is some important information here. It just kind of comes off a little clumsy. It does get deep into the story, despite kind of looking like it was filmed in one day. So you take your 1.5 Herzogs, take my 2.5 Herzogs. That makes it 4 out of 10 Herzogs. Which apparently is enough to get you nominated for a sports documentary Emmy. Well... It seems like a, I've noticed we covered a, a hole in the head, which is a very, it's almost like an educational doc. And it's not one that's very well known. You can find it on YouTube right now. There's not that many views on it, but it somehow won a Williamsburg Documentary Award. This movie that most people have never heard of. There's always an award to give to something that's out there somewhere. I feel the score on this one too. That feels right to me. I was not angry that I watched this by any means. It was not a terrible film, but it seems like it could have been done so much better with more red dunks, please. Yeah. You got all this great Lynn Bias footage. I'd make half the movie that. You're talking about the potential of a guy who many consider the best basketball player to not play in the NBA, along with somebody like the GOAT. I mean, that's a fun story, too. Yeah. Although, it's hard to say fun story and Len Bias in the same sentence. It was inspiring to see the strength of his mother and really disappointing to see how bureaucracy just made a bad situation worse for a lot of underserved communities. Well, that's four out of ten Herzogs. God, can we get a... Maybe I should throw in a Larry Holmes singing a song about himself clip to lighten the mood a little bit. 
They're not all going to be happy Larry Holmes singing along to songs about himself. If there, only they were. Drew, where can people get up on them nuts? Oh, if you want to get up on these nuts. <laughs> it's always fun to be here with the documenteers. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. I host a sports talk radio show right here in Nashville called Walk It Off on WXNA 101.5 FM, along with the excellent Dave Sharp, where we talk about pretty much everything that's going on in the sports world currently as opposed to these old stories that we talk about here on Documenteers. So it's fun. Get all your sports in there. But you can listen to that on 101.5 FM weekly if you're here in Nashville, or you can check out all the archived episodes at wxnafm.org. But please hit us up with any comments, any sports stories you'd like us to cover at Walk It Off Radio on your social medias or walkitoffradio at gmail.com if you got a whole lot to say. I like that show. It's a good show. It's not one of those uh, Woody Page screaming about nothing kind of shows. No, uh, we're talking about sports the way you'd like to talk about sports. Right. Not just out there for the takes. And for the documenteers, this podcast you're listening to right now, we sure would love and appreciate it if you gave us five stars on iTunes and maybe a little review. And maybe uh, if you do that, that helps our podcast grow and it helps uh it helps us expose ourselves to the world. I don't and, think you need much help there. <laughs> and you can uh, also hit us up on Instagram at Documenteers. You'll you might get a little preview of what's coming out before it happens, as well as some information on any extra content we might have. If you want to yell at me or blatantly disagree with us about our rating on this movie, then you can email us at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. We love suggestions documentary suggestions that's it and that is the story of lynn bias and our rating of a movie which we felt like had the potential to be a lot better than it was executed but that's the breaks folks and that is our rating of without bias by director kirk fraser keep on docking He said in an interview that he could go full court in six steps, at one step from the free throw line. Jesus. That was a totally different interview. What? <laughs> that was the Giannis Antetokounmpo interview after the Stormy Daniels. Wait, against? Because <laughs> I watched that too. The Stormy Daniels. Who <laughs> was after it on 60 Minutes. They didn't want on Giannis. I didn't watch that. What? This was in this movie. No, it wasn't. Yes. That was the that was talking about him. I never watched that Giannis interview. Are you sure? Was it I, on in the background? I did watch half of the Stormy Daniels. Was it still on? It was not that. It was not. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Am I really I didn't watch the Giannis interview. <laughs> it must have still been on or something. Is that that's Giannis who goes across the court in six steps. Wait. <laughs> no, dude, you're fucking right. Yeah, I know I'm right. He's on uh he's on Minnesota, right? Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Same shit. <laughs> Some non-Canadian northern territory. <laughs> but we're talking about your notepad here. No, I didn't <laughs> I didn't write that down. I thought I was being off the cuff. But yeah, I think you're right now to think about it. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> oh shit. <laughs> Well, there's your bumper right there. <laughs> I want to see your notepad. I hope half of it's Stormy Daniels. No, I thought <laughs> I was... Remember when Len Bias fucked President Trump? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> <laughs> Which is really disturbing. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>